You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Today's guest has worked quickly to build a portfolio of single-family rentals. She works as a full-time nurse and still managed to buy 21 homes in less than a year. But she isn't just motivated by the thought of a secure future for herself. She is specializing in Section 8 homes that house single moms and their kids to be sure that they have safe and affordable housing. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. Our guest today, Rita, is also a former Dale Carnegie instructor, a group leader for Investor of South Florida, a member of Real Wealth Network, and a mom to two millennial entrepreneurs. And she's here with us on The Real Wealth Show to share what she's been doing in real estate. And I assure you, it's a lot. So Rita, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Great. So excited to be here. So glad. All right. So what inspired you to invest in real estate? Well, my grandparents owned a duplex. And unfortunately for me, I was not intuitive enough to join into that when I was about 18 years old. So I bought into the theory that we're all sold, and that is go to college, get a good job, have a good life. And I feel as though I let a good life get in the way of having a great life. And it wasn't until many years later that I, we all know about real estate. We know it's a good idea, whatnot. But it wasn't until many, many years later that I thought, you know, let me go and check out that real estate world. And that was about a year and a half ago. Oh, okay. So why do you say it was a good life, but could have been a great, what would have been different if you started earlier? I would have had passive income, I believe, from an early age. And I would have had, you know, many years to have that appreciation grow and all of that. And it wasn't until later on that I really came to the realization. And it came to me one day when I started thinking about my future. And I made that fateful call to the social security office to ask them, gee, down the road, when I do retire, what will be my monthly income after paying in for you know most of my life? And they gave me the sobering number of about $2,000 a month. And I thought, no, I cannot live on that. And that was the day I jumped into real estate with both feet and have not looked back about a year and a half ago. Oh, that's wonderful. So knowing what you know today, do you think you could have started earlier if you, you know, just starting out in your career? I mean, how would you have gotten into real estate before you maybe technically had any money to invest? Yeah, I think nowadays there are so many other avenues. You know, we see many people getting in at age 18 or 20 before they go to college, you know, through flipping or wholesaling or VRBO. There's just so many different real estate avenues that I think in retrospect, I would have jumped in, perhaps not to the level I have currently, but I think I would have uh, become proficient, learned about it. And I just wish I had started earlier. And that would be my message to any of the listeners out there today. You know, I think the best time to invest in real estate probably was 20 or 30 years ago. However, I think the next best time is today. And I would (laughs) strongly encourage everyone to just jump in today. Yeah, it's really uh, not necessarily a get rich quick scheme, right? It's uh, over time, real estate seems to outperform everything else. Especially, like you said, if if we'd started 20, 30 years ago, that would have been amazing. Or if your parents started for you, you know, like my mom, we often joke how she grew up and she raised us in Menlo Park when houses were $50,000. And at the time she thought, boy, I should buy, you know, one of these for each of my five kids. 
but it just kind of wasn't a mindset back then, although she, she thought it was a good idea. Well, those homes are worth millions now. Um, so yeah, if your parents think about it, what a great way to pass on a, an asset to your children. So again, if you jumped in a year and a half ago, why? Like what triggered it for you? Uh, what triggered it was just looking at Social Security down the road and realizing I am tired of punching in my job. My day job is a, that of a nurse. And I've done a time clock and you get paid for the hours you put in. And I thought for down the road, I really wanted something different. And I wanted that passive income where I could just earn some money while I was sleeping, while I was at the beach. And more importantly, I really wanted to build some legacy wealth, as we just mentioned, for our children. I didn't want my children to have to work as hard as I have. And I thought if I put together several houses and kept it as a buy and hold model, that would be some legacy passive wealth for my children down the road. Mm, Awesome. So it looks like you started a year and a half ago, but you did not take this slow path. (laughs) You dove right in. So, uh, So how many properties do you own now? I own 21. And yes, I did not take the slow path because I felt, <laughs> Kathy, as though I needed to make up for lost time. Mm-hmm. So I really jumped in with both feet. I burned all the bridges and really jumped in. And I looked my master's degree in real estate in that I read 60 books my first year. I listened to over 330 podcasts my first year. And we always go to college and we take so many courses that are not even applicable to our current jobs. And I looked at this as an investment in myself, and I thought, let me just play catch up and take as many of the courses and books as I could to be able to get well-versed and jump into this world of real estate. Oh my gosh, that sounds like me. I did the same thing. I read every single book I could get my hands on and uh, just wanted to understand it inside and out. There's so much to learn, but it's fun to learn You know, when you're really discovering how to build wealth in ways that nobody's ever really taught. So how do you buy 21 homes in less than a year? How do you do that? (laughs) Well, I I did it the hard way. I did it one at a time. You know, many people will buy a multifamily and have 25 or 50 doors under one roof. But I thought, no, let me do it the harder way. And I decided to do the buy and hold model and I elected to purchase single family homes. So I was doing probably about two a month for the first year and just dove in with both feet and put them on the board. And I worked hard to get them 100% rented. I'm happy to say they're all rented today. So it was well worth it. And where did you buy? I live in South Florida and I'm an out-of-state investor in Ohio. And I'm doing that pretty much for the cash flow. And if I get appreciation on top of that, the South Florida market, uh, as California is probably now priced a little bit high, mm-hmm. and I really wanted to go for the cash flow. So I looked in the Midwest. Okay. Where in Ohio specifically? Cleveland. Cleveland. Oh, yeah. I love Cleveland. Great city. Okay. So all of your portfolio is there? Yes. I felt that it would make sense for me to learn the laws of one state as opposed to four or five different states. And I also thought to be able to put my team together, I wanted to put one team together in terms of you know, property manager and realtor and lender and all of that. So I, I like the idea of keeping it somewhat consolidated into one state since it's challenging enough, as you well know, to invest out of state. I didn't want to spread myself too thin. So yes, all in one spot. Wow. And uh, you found a good property manager there that does does the work for you? Or like, I mean, how did you 
<laughs> I'm on my second property manager. And what I did, Kathy, was I just Googled 10, pro- I Googled all the property managers in the surrounding area. There were a list of 10. I interviewed them by phone and then I narrowed it down to about three. And then I went back and I impersonated a future tenant to see exactly how they would treat my future tenants. Mm. And then I narrowed it down to one. So I think there's uh, information to be gleaned from a tenant's perspective rather than just a landlord's uh, outlook. Yeah, that's brilliant. We did that once in Cleveland. We were doing a tour there and I had about 50 people on a bus and one was from Australia and said that they were in the process of buying an apartment in Cleveland and wondered if we could drive by it. So we just turned the bus and and went to see this property that a broker told her was in a really good part of town near a college, fully rented. And so we, we drove by and yeah, there was a college about a mile away, but on the way on the other side of the tracks. And we kind of looked at this building and thought, this sure doesn't look like a fully rented building. So we did exactly what you said. We called the property manager from the property management sign outside. And we said, hey, you know, we're a group of people from, you know, not from around here, but there's 30 of us and we all want to live here. Do you have any availability? (laughs) Yeah, we've got room for all of you. (laughs) Well, that doesn't sound fully leased to me. Anyway, calling and pretending you're a tenant is a great idea. I love that. Yeah. You have to get creative, you know. <laughs> to find the truth. Yeah, to find the truth. It's really important. Wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about down payments and financing. How how did you come up with the down payments and the financing for 21 homes in one year? <laughs> I know. Well, fortunately, I guess the one advantage of starting a little later as opposed to when you're 18 is that uh, hopefully you accumulated some cash. So I was a saver. And I decided to cash out of the stock market. I had been in the stock market all, you know, all my life. So I decided rather than the market, I wanted to put it in real estate. So I cashed out of the stock market. So that was my seed money. And as you know, as a single person, we can have 10 loans in our own personal name. So I also did that. As a married person, we can have 20 loans before we have to look to a portfolio lender. So I started with my own seed money purchased them, then went back, refinanced out 10 of them to redeploy my cash and be able to do it again. Wow. So good. Congratulations. About what price point uh, were these purchases? They're on the lower and they're probably uh, C minus properties, I'd say under 50,000. Wow. You went, uh, you went for C minus. That takes courage. So tell me more about that. Have you had any issues with, with the management of those? Because we, we try to stay around C plus, B minus. Right. I uh, have not had real issues because I use the Section 8 program. And there have been many stereotypic ideas about the Section 8 program. And many people stay away from it because of some of the horror stories. But what I found, Kathy, is the exact opposite in that if a Section 8 tenant would damage our property, they then risk losing their section eight voucher for life. So what I found is actually the opposite. The moms that put their children in their, the local schools are very careful to take good care of the property because they don't want to lose their voucher and they would like their children to continue in the school system. So I've had really good luck with the, uh, you know, usual landlord problems that you have, but no horror stories. I've had uh, a really good uh, track record so far. Wonderful with Section Eight, yeah. And they they come every year to uh, to investigate the property, right? Make sure it's in good shape, both from the landlord perspective and a tenant perspective. 
they certainly do. And many people look at that as a negative. And I look at it as a positive in that, yes, Section 8 will come by annually to inspect the property, but I want my properties to be up to code and have every minor thing taken care of. So I feel like since I'm not there with eyes on it, I know Section 8 will be coming in on an annual basis. They give me a list of whatever minor things need to be updated. I have my contractor take care of that. And then the properties are up to code. So I just view it as a, another cross-check and uh, I view it as a positive thing. No, oh, that's great. Yeah, we just got a, a letter uh, for our rental property in Cleveland. And yeah, they do. They come and check and they make sure everything's updated. And there's an expense there, but why would you not want your properties up to code? You know, your insurance exactly. would expect that of you. Yeah. That's right. Uh, okay, wonderful. Well, what are some of the things that you've learned in your... I want to say fairly short experience, but broad at the same time. I'm sure you've learned more than most people with 21 properties in one year. So what are the main lessons you've learned that maybe you would have done differently had you known? Well, I've learned that it's not an impossibility to put this together. You know, I talk to so many people and they say, oh my gosh, how did you do that out of state, far away? But really, if you jump in and do some research, we are investing in the best time of our lives in terms of having our iPhone at our fingertips. We can find so much helpful information in terms of crime rate, school systems, Google Earth, you know, so we can utilize that tool to be able to purchase at a farther distance. It's my feeling that we end up paying more for the convenience of driving by our properties. And once you can make that mindset of looking outside of your own neighborhood by using the tools that we have then it wasn't uh, that difficult. I had to learn lessons in terms of how to put my team together. And, you know, that was challenging, but I, I'm a pretty determined person. So I thought, well, first I need a realtor. So I called several realtors until I found one that was responsive to me. And in that, I mean, just listening to us, you know, are they giving you the right listings, the appropriate price range, the market that you want to be in? And then it was great because I really find that rock stars lead us to other rock stars. So I'd ask my realtor, who do you know that's a property manager? Who do you know that's a contractor? Who do you know that's a lender? And the lender would lead me to a title company and the title company would lead me to an insurance agent. So it, in retrospect, it was not as difficult and leveraging other people. You know, we always learn to leverage money and that's great and it's important, but I also learned to leverage other people's expertise that I perhaps did not have. Oh, yes. I love that. That is exactly what I've done too, is learning from others. And just like you said, getting referrals from uh, people who are, like you said, superstars. So they're going to work with superstars as well. Uh, but with that said, you still got to do your due diligence on everyone. You know, do a quick Google search or background check. We we do that anyway because even as someone who's had a great track record, uh, sometimes they can slip if they have personal issues going on or something. Um, so always, always do your due diligence at least on the property at a minimum. <laughs> yeah, good point, Kathy. Because people's personalities change. And, you know, I've had contractors that are great for 10 properties and then something happens and you can hardly get a hold of them. So, you know, I do think you can never do enough due diligence, background checks, referrals, checking, you know, especially long distance. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so one of the things that you would recommend to any new investor is to 
do your homework, educate, educate, educate. So what are some books that you recommend or ways that people should take action to learn more? Well, I think there's so many uh, websites around, you know, your website is, is such a wealth of information. It's been so helpful and great. And what you do for real estate investors out there is so beneficial. And I would just say, you know, get as much education and there's so much free education. You know, I get uh, kind of sad when I hear people paying $50,000 to a guru or 30000 or whatever it might be. Uh, one of my most helpful books was probably titled Long Distance Investing by David Green. And I wish I had had that when I started because it really is a step-by-step. If anyone's interested in that long distance process, I would suggest picking that up. And other than that, read as many books. Whenever there's a podcast guest, they normally recommend a couple of books. I have a, a notebook and I write down, all, and that's where I get my reading list from of other real estate investors who recommend books. So the information is out there. The local RIAs are beneficial. Even if you're investing as I do out of state, you can still garner information from the local investors because we all have similar challenges and problems. Great advice. I love it. All right. So what's your goal? When do you hope to be able to retire or what, you know, what are your plans for 2020 and beyond? Well, I, my goal was to finish the year strong and I just purchased a property uh, about two weeks ago in December. So that was uh, good for 2019. My number is more. That's how many I would <laughs> like to get. So I don't know if that'll be 20 or you know 100, whatever that might be. I'm open to, uh, to growth and that's what I plan on doing. Uh, in terms of my retirement, fortunately, because I'm a nurse, I only work 12 days a month. So right now I'm able to balance both. And it's nice to, ha- my lenders love my W-2 income. So I'm trying to hang on to that. Many people get into real estate and say, oh, I want to I want to stop working. And I would just suggest that you look at your own personal financial information and try to hang on to that W-2 income as long as you need it in terms of lending. That's a very wise point. I hear that a lot too. And I tell people, no, 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 don't retire until you've maxed out all your loans. (laughs) You won't get any loans once you retire. Yeah, totally. So true. I agree with you. Well, how are you getting loans now? Uh, Well, right now I'm uh, looking for a portfolio lender because that'll probably be my next step to consolidate since I have maxed out my 10. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that'll be my next uh, challenge and my next growing step. Okay. I've got some good referrals for you. So a portfolio lender, for those of you new to that concept, would be not your Fannie Freddie government-backed loans. They're, they're independent and, and they might lend against the whole portfolio. And then you can, it kind of frees up for you to go back to the conventional route. So yeah, we know there's so many good lenders out there now, so much money in lending uh, that, that, that could be a possibility. You're right. And money is so cheap right now. So in 10 or 15 years, we may look back and realize, and wish that we had leveraged a little more. <laughs> yeah, at these, at these low interest rates. Now, there's a big trend and fad right now to get into multifamily. I hear a lot of people running around bragging that they have this many doors and so forth. And you later find out that they've just invested in someone else's syndication and they only own a tiny, tiny fraction of all those doors. But what, you know, what are your thoughts? Uh, why did you choose single family over multi? I like single family because I thought, where would I want to live? Would I want a, a house with a yard or would I want to live in a big brick structure that's uh, multifamily? So I went the route of where I would want to live. And also my market, 
you have to look at what your market presents to you. Where I'm investing, the multifamily are in the rougher parts of town. So I really wanted to stay in that C neighborhood. And my single moms in the Section 8 program love my houses because they're in neighborhoods, their children can go to safe schools, they have a yard. And I just thought I'm a bit of a contrarian. And I thought if everyone's going to multifamily, perhaps it's a little bit overpriced at, at this juncture. And I thought, you know, I can do them one by one and do the buy and hold model and just uh, build it up a little slower, but really have a strong asset underneath that will be there for my children. You know, I, I know that you're doing this for your retirement, but I also hear an underlying pride in what you're doing for other women. Am I right on that? Yes, absolutely. The 21 moms I have uh, in the houses, I'm so gratified to be able to provide that safe, affordable housing for them. And I hear them, you know, putting their kids in school and wanting to stay there. That's the other thing about uh, resident retention. I feel there's more of a turnover in some of the multifamily product. But if you get a solid house in a good neighborhood, you know, many people will flock to that just based on the school systems. So I think there's something to, to look at in that avenue. Yeah, I look at it the same way. Not not just this tenant is working for me, but rather I'm working for them. You know, I'm I'm providing them a lifestyle that maybe they couldn't have otherwise. And and providing a, a, a beautiful, safe home. And, and I, I think that makes a difference when your tenants know that you really care. It really does. You know, if you want to be in this game for the long term, then why not provide a product that will lend itself to the longevity of the tenant? And that's, that's what I looked at. And that's what I'm hoping to achieve. Wonderful. Well, Rita, it's been such a joy to have you here. You're truly an inspiration. As are you, Kathy. I really uh, appreciate all you do for the investors and also the, the female investors out there. I also run a women's group with over 200 women through Liz Faircloth and the Invest Her organization with the South Florida. And so I really appreciate what you do because we look to you as a great leader also. Oh, thank you so much. It's, it's been incredible to watch uh, so many powerful women come forth. When, when I started it was me and, and the guys. The rooms were just full of, of men mainly, and maybe a couple of wives would show up, but uh, just in the last few years. And I really do think it has a lot to do with Liz and the work she's done and, and, and women like you that are creating these investor groups, helping women understand it. It's just transforming overnight. So, so cool to see. It really is. It, it, and it's such a fun industry. I mean, I'm, I'm in this for life. It's a it's a great hobby that has turned into a vocation, and I love being a student of the game, walking into a room in which I'm the, the least educated person in terms of real estate because I love learning about it. It's really been fun. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you for your super kind words. It really means a lot. And thank you for inspiring so many people. I think most people or a lot of people are afraid to buy one rental property out of state. So to hear that somebody but 20 and... <laughs> And, and not the nicest parts of town and is still alive to talk about it. I mean, it's, it's really great. Thank you so much for sharing your story. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on as a guest, Kathy. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. I hope to see you on February 8th at our full day event in Jacksonville, Florida. You can get the details at realwealthshow.com under the Learn tab. I hope to see you there. Bye-bye.